0: Curse. Welcome to No Prize from God, episode 32. No Prize from God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey, and my guest this episode is Otrabor, the one man behind the one man post black metal band from San Francisco, Botanist, a group founded on the principle of worship of the natural world. A hammered dulcimer stands in for guitars and botanist, with drums free from editing in order to capture Otrabore at the edge of his ability. Otrabore channels an alter ego with a romantic vision of a world overtaken by plant life, free from human interference. In a 2011 profile, NPR wrote, You'd think a two-disc, 40-track album of creepy hammered dulcimer black metal would get stale but one, The Suicide Tree, and two, arose from the Dead, is surprisingly dynamic and hypnotic. The hammered dulcimer rings out and cuts like a blast-beaded piano, pounding paradiddles in some kind of black metal drumline, which you can hear on the longest track from the album, most are a minute and a half long, titled "Arose from the Dead. The best way to support No Prize From God is to go into Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and write a nice little review. You can also check out other podcasts in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, which include Pop Curse, Where Musicians Talk Movies, and Speak and Destroy, the first podcast about Metallica. You can follow No Prize From God on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at Superhero HQ. So here it is, my conversation with Otrobor of Botanist. This is No Prize From God. Essentially, the elevator pitch for this podcast, right, is in the religion and spirituality category in, the, in Apple Podcasts, it's very much dominated by right-wing evangelicals, militant atheists, and new-agey self-help stuff. And without knocking any of those things specifically necessarily, I just looked at it and thought, where are the conversations for everyone else? And you know, like a lot of great bands and good movies, I thought, well, I'll make the thing that I wish I could listen to. And you know, in my uh, travels and personal journey as a journalist and once upon a time a musician and so on and so forth, you know, I've encountered so many people, a lot of musicians and also filmmakers, writers, authors, that have such interesting takes on this stuff and are coming from all sorts of different perspectives, you know, grew up with different faith traditions or lack thereof. And, you know, I mean, really, I just thought I want a podcast where I can have HR from Bad Brains on and talk about his trippy (laughs) religious views, you know, or have Mm -hmm. uh, Satir from Satiricon on to talk about the early days of the Norwegian church burning scene and, okay. and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been exactly what the podcast has been, I'm, I'm you know, 30 plus episodes deep and had a wide ranging conversation with people that read tarot cards or talk to ghosts or are, you know, completely, uh, you know, lacking in belief of, of any kind and, you know, all, mm-hmm. all across the spectrum. So it's been a lot of fun and, you know, I got turned on, to what you're doing just a few months ago, actually, by a friend of mine that, uh, you know, he's, he's one of those handful of friends that in adulthood, we still actually share new music discoveries with one another. (laughs) And he was like, Hey, this is right up your alley. Uh, Not just what you're doing musically, but, but you know, what you're doing thematically conceptually and and what the whole thing represents Um, Mm -hmm. it's extremely cool and extremely unique. So, the, hence the uh, the invitation to have you on, which I was happy you accepted.
1: Great, I'm, Great, totally I'm delighted. Thanks, Ryan.
0: So, yeah, so I want to talk about both the, you know, the sort of the figure that you are conjuring and channeling when creating this music, and also if you'll indulge me a little bit about the, the person who, who's doing the conjuring. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could tell me a little bit about your background as far as what were some of the earliest encounters you had with ideas about, you know, life, death, uh, our relationship to the planet, mm-hmm. um, and that sort of thing, you know, when, when, and how did you first get turned on to this more sort of esoteric train of thought? Well, in terms of, um,
1: thinking about life and death and listening to your introduction and talking about, um, the aspect of spirituality and how that comes into play into botanist, I think it kind of went backwards. So the origin of it, the, the spiritual um, aspect of it didn't really occur to me until a little bit later. I was, um, and maybe even a lot of it. I first started doing it because I was very inspired by botanical art, particularly 18th century stuff. Um, there's a lot of amazing 20th century um, and 19th century stuff too. But I really got into uh, that, and it coincided with me um, looking at um, encyclopedias and being very interested in botanical nomenclature. And then when those two things came together, um, I saw this amazing vista to be able to make a band based entirely on this. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't really get anybody Excited enough to do the band with me. So I said, well, I'm just gonna do it myself. And so I started doing that Um and since I'm highly um, inspired by black metal and I'm also highly inspired by romantic literature of the um, Late 18th and early 19th centuries mm. um, I, I find that black metal is pretty I think it's the most romantic and I mean romantic with a capital R um, The most romantic music I've ever heard uh, in terms of connecting with, like God is out in the forest and you find him by yourself when you connect with that space. Um, The sort of uh, refuting um, uh, um, perceived uh, sort of social norms and embracing the fantastic um, and finding truth in in that or in dreams or or in things that aren't rational. and um really finding one's own god within oneself like all those things are echoed in black metal to to my sensibility and so that was also kind of doing this project made me make those connections like i've always loved romantic i mean since high school i've always loved um, romantic literature and i've loved metal since i was a little kid and then black metal when i um, in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, I got into it. So I wanted to make a project that was, that was that. And so that's where the idea of, well, it's about plants, but what more can it be? Just, you know, just like carcass did. Carcass was a huge influence in terms of giving the green light to doing something thematic. That was very much, you know, like they just opened the medical encyclopedia and just started writing about pathology.
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: And it's like, well, that's already been done, so I can see that it's possible. Why don't I do that for botany, it'd be beautiful. So I did that, and well, what more? So, well, the black metal has a very strong misanthropy aspect to it. Well, so then it's about a botanist loses his mind at seeing the destruction of of the natural world at the hand of man. And he retreats to this secluded area with all these plants around him, and he hears voices, the plants speak to him, whether they actually are or not. And one in particular is like the Satan of the pantheon is Azalea. And Azalea instructs him on how to bring about the end of man. But the end of man is already happening because mankind is bringing it upon, upon itself. And so he helps sort of like, well, how can I sort of push this along? Or all the accounts of plants and, and, and processes are all done through the scientific viewpoint, but then it has this romantic spin to it because the person's crazy um, and, and sees the world like as if the plants have these entities to them that they may or may not have. And that's sort of the um, the way that the scientific world and the romantic sort of the fantastical world come together in, in the project. So I did this for a while and then I started getting feedback from people about how much the music was positively impacting their lives and how it inspired them to make better choices in their life with their own like health and well-being or how much it was meditative and then how much people would just come to me to ask me like what do you think about <clears throat> these sort of things you're talking about these topics that you're talking about on a worldwide actual impactful scale and then it started to occur to me, like, I have a real p- ability to do something with this music beyond just this, like, sort of bedroom black metal project that it started off as. And I started realizing, like, hmm, monasteries, like the traditional monasteries, you know, the stereotypical, the whatever, the archetypal mar- monasteries, where monks are in the in the, in the woods, they're in the, the mountains, they're making beer, they're making bread, whatever they're doing. They're alone in nature, and they find God there. Mm. And I, I wanted to stay away from, because I, I don't, I'm an agnostic person. So I wanted to stay away from being any sort of like having a real stance on um, God's existence in reference to any sort of established religion. But I firmly believe that we are limited beings because we're humans and we cannot understand so much. And that's where faith comes in, right? We can't understand, and I think that's beautiful, actually. I think that's very liberating. I really like the notion that I can't understand what is, and that's okay with me. But I do think that the closest I can come to seeing God is through the natural world, and that is a tremendous sort of source of inspiration. So I think that was kind of like the timeline of how the spirituality and botanist um, came to be and is growing.
0: You came prepared to play, first of all, and you're already the uh, archetype, no prize from God type guest with all of those different things that you put together. And there's it, it introduced four or five different questions that I want to ask and threads I want to follow that you presented. And I'm so appreciative of that, first of all. Secondly, I'll just say as, as a personal note, it comes up on the on the podcast often. Uh, I'm in a very similar place in so much as abandoning the need for certainty and to have every question definitively answered has been the most liberating part of my adulthood mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the just the last handful of years of embracing the mystery. And even within different faith traditions and, and different things that I'm more closely linked to, I suppose, looking at the the more mystical side of it and less at the, you know, homogenized, uh, stripped down, picked apart version. So I, I think, you know, the way that you are exploring that is is extremely cool. Um, I want to ask you about some of the romantic stuff, some of the the art world stuff. But before I ask you that, as it relates to black metal and as it relates to you, being in the Bay area of California, if I'm not mistaken, you know, when we think about some of this sort of neo-pagan, very much historical, you know, ancestry obsessed, however you want to describe it, you know, that, that element of black metal as it exists in particularly Scandinavia and those wooded areas. And, you know, of course, anything from, the blizzard beasts of immortal to, uh, you know, to to the artists that take that stuff even more seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very fascinated to hear how the natural environment of the Pacific Northwest informs what you're doing uh, specifically in a way that might differ from, you know, someone in Scandinavia who's doing black metal folk or something.
1: Well, I can take guesses <clears throat> uh, only in terms of the comparison to uh, Scandinavia. I, I've been to Scandinavia um, a handful of times. Yeah, well, I highly recommend it. Um, I used to live in Japan and it's like I used to live in Tokyo and it was just like concrete jungles or like urban sprawl and, and um, particularly Tokyo. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. You basically are. It's like you know, like real life Blade Runner is is a, is a pretty good comparison. Um, and just how the the city was built so haphazardly in the ashes of it being basically raised in um, in um, to the ground. I mean, in uh, World War II. But it also is compounded by how the Japanese like to have everything very close and tight. So, so it's really when I was living there which is a great experience but i was like i need to get out of here what is the opposite that i can imagine and it was big nature scandinavia so that was the first time i went um so what informs botanist in terms of where i live Uh, but the first thing i think of is redwood trees i think redwood trees are my favorite plant or of, of plant tree however you want to put it my favorite flora um and I think that those forests in the in the area that I live in, in the larger area, uh, are the biggest channeler of this is the thing I need to be doing, uh, meaning making botanist. Um, but it's not just that it's I think one of the things that I, I preach about the um, the project is you can see nature anywhere. You can even see it in Tokyo. Like there are plants and flowers and things that grow around, whether it's intentional or not. And those are all, if you slow down and take a look at it and think about it, that's also a representation of the of of the divine. And thinking about, this is, gets into so much of what sort of the uh, subtext of what botanist is about is this slowing down, this like, taking the time to have a break from all the things that we have to think about in our lives that take up so much space in our, in our existence and, and being like, wait, I'm just sort of this like person or this being that exists in this huge macrocosm. And here's this thing that exists on its own and it's so complex and yet it's so simple at the same time and I take that for granted because it's just a thing growing on someone's, you know, it's a tree or it's a it's a flower, or, you know, in this world that is all a buzz. Um, so going back to uh, the area here, it's like redwood trees, um, and I think the difference that I could guess from Scandinavia, Scandinavia has a lot of, um, excuse me, I think it's pines. Um, <laughs> I remember a couple words for different kinds of trees in the Swedish, but for sure, Scandinavia is a lot colder. <laughs> so I think that, right. I think that probably, uh, influences, you mentioned blizzard beasts. I mean, the world that immortal created was this fantasy ice world, you know, it's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, but in the ice and there's ravens flying around. And, and so, and that's awesome. And I, their lyrics and their concept are amazing. It's very influential to me. Um, but, uh, I think that's probably the easiest uh difference I could make. Um and I think maybe a lot of this the black metal traditionally from Scandinavia was the um was in opposition to the sort of social pressure and constraint that Christianity had particularly in Norway and the rebellion against that. Um and I don't really have that. I don't feel that in this area.
0: Right. That's that's a great point. Um because yeah, you're certainly in one of you know, a place that's uh, it's almost a cliche how free thinking and bohemian it is in terms of sure, you know, sure. America. It's like San Francisco and Portland. Uh, yeah, that's a great point because, yeah, absolutely what we think of as the Scandinavian black metal movement was very much rebelling against not only Christianity, but the as they went further into it, the conquering of pre Christian religions and and traditions, uh, by Christianity. And it it might be because I just binge watched, uh, the show called the last kingdom on Netflix, uh, which is all about uh, the creation of England. And it's all about Saxons versus Danes, which of course gets into Christianity versus uh, the Norse deities. So I, I have that kind of on the brain right now, but the way that, you know, much like a plant on a sidewalk in Tokyo, is gonna force its way up through between the cracks i feel like a lot of the those old traditions and old ways reemerge emerge in, in new forms uh, within the structure of of whatever the dominant modern religion is uh so yeah. I, I feel like black metal's you know certainly a an indicator of that and demonstrative of that and i think what you're doing is demonstrative of that from whole different perspective and yeah it's interesting because as you said black metal is very uh, misanthropic but at the same time as you said people are are really connecting with the music that you're making and being you know positively enriched by it no pun mm-hmm. intended <laughs> yeah. and i think i find that fascinating as well i mean certainly there are you know there's somebody out there that listens to cannibal corpse and feels like uplifted by it. (laughs) And I don't, and I don't discount that, although that's not me, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I would put it to the inherent spirituality of your whole concept, right? I mean, what's, what's injecting that positivity into what is considered a bleak sound. I mean, it's kind of gotta be that. Maybe it is um, uh, before I got
1: get into that which I do is a couple things that made me uh, think about some of the stuff you were just talking about is um, um, it made me wonder if the Scandinavian black metal really set the stage of you know, there's many people who say well black metal is anti-christian. that's an inalienable aspect of the music. And it's like is that because that's, where it's perceived to have been come from, based on the stuff we were talking about, you know, the things in opposition to the sort of oppression, the social oppression of that these kids felt from the right wing sort of society in Norway. Um, So I wonder that. And I also saw that you interviewed Asan, and and I wonder if you had some sort of perspective uh, from, from the horse's mouth um, from a Norwegian person heavily involved in that scene when it was exploding. And I don't know if that's relevant to this interview, but it just, I just thought of those. No, it
0: is. Absolutely. And, and one of the things I picked up from him as well as Satir and maybe not so much Nurgle who I also had on the podcast, but, but Mm -hmm. mainly from his son, it was that, you know, the whole, the whole like Satan, Satan, darkness, burn a church, that that's more sort of the youthful rebellious expression of these feelings and and points of view that they're still working through and figuring out, and that as an adult, like a grown adult uh, he's evolved past that framework you know so there's you know there are organizations that take the Satan thing as you know they weaponize it basically as a way to deconstruct Christianity and the sense that I've gotten from the more sort of old school Norwegian black metal guys that I've had the opportunity to speak with is that they've removed themselves from that paradigm you know they don't view their inner spirituality or their worldview anymore through the lens of what separates them from Christianity you know what I mean so it's it's kind of the thing of I think they spent a long time defining themselves by what they're not, which I think is common in youth. I mean, I did that as a teenager in in my twenties. I could give you a list of everything I stood against, but then at a certain point you hopefully reach a point and it sounds like that's what those guys did where you start trying to define yourself more by what you stand for. Uh, So yeah, that was the vibe I got from that conversation definitely it was that that was you know to to go down the road of let's tear apart Christianity together um was like the wrong it, it, it's like not only would we not be on the same page anymore we wouldn't even be in the same book in the same library <laughs> you know yeah. Um, yeah which I think is very cool and a very um enlightened take and and a and, and honestly a conversation that I'm a lot more interested in having with folks. I mean, I had someone on the podcast recently, the episode hasn't come out yet, but um, you know, it was 70 minutes of deconstructing Christianity. And I'm just sort of going, you know, that's cool. Um, I just feel like that's so, that's such a boring conversation at this point, (laughs) you know, like I was much more fascinated by the 30 minutes that this person spent explaining to me what they are into, you know,
1: and not to say that there yeah. isn't a place for yeah. that.
0: I just feel like it's, uh, I don't know. Um, uh, and, and in a similar kind of train, as I was telling different friends of mine about the idea for this podcast before I started it, I have a very good friend who is like a dedicated diehard Sam Harris podcast listener. And he, you know, in the same way that an evangelical Christian feels that they need to save your eternal soul from burning in hell. And it's because of this compassion for you that they push and push and push. You know, some of these disciples of the, the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse, you know, these writers and stuff like they feel the same way. They feel that religion, particularly Christianity is such a, a scour- scourge upon the earth that the good work to do is to proselytize and save people from it. And I realized again, early on, you know, when my friend and I, we've had a lot of friendly debates and conversations when he was like, Oh, I want to come on your podcast and we can debate. And I just, yeah, I haven't had him on because that's not what I wanted to do. You know, I I, I, I love discussing diverse points of view all across the spectrum that differ from mine or align with mine in different places. But yeah, I think it's such a, I realize there's a long, a long way around to answering your question. But, I, I got the sense that those old school norwegian black metal guys are are in a similar place where yeah. you know they 've certainly done enough with their art and their and their lives to battle against what they don 't like, and I think that the art that they 're making now is arguably a little bit more about what they do like well, I think that's also you know, that's a really
1: good and healthy thing to go about art um, it's like you make what you make when you're in that place to make it. And that is like, you know, you, you, you cherish and uphold those times for being in the place that you were at. And it just gets into the, the notion of, and I know what it's like on both sides. It's like when you're a fan of something, you have a perspective on something, but when you create it, you have a different perspective on, on the same thing. And those things can't be the same. It's not possible. And that's, what's beautiful about it. Um, but you can't expect, uh, um, sort of, Assan to make uh, Immortal, uh, excuse me, Assan to make the first Emperor record over and over again because he's not 16 anymore. Um, yeah, and now he's a different person, and you don't have to like the art as much. I mean, I like Old um I keep saying Immortal, I like Old Emperor more than I like New Assan. Uh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks for taking the blame, but it's not your fault. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like Old Emperor more than I like New Assan, but. Uh,
0: that's that's okay. Yeah, although I will say, you know, that interview was a year or two ago. Yeah. And I actually, my icebreaker for the conversation is, given that he's Norwegian, I thought he might get yeah. a kick out of the fact that I loved the band Aha when I was a kid. It was like oh, my favorite band. sixth grade.
1: the first Aha record is so good.
0: It's so good, and I still yeah. that, actually the first two I will I still listen to as an uh, adult. But I thought it would be kind of a I thought it would be like you know someone saying oh you're from canada do you like nickelback but uh-huh. instead not only did he profess his undying love for aha but he told me that there is a melody straight lifted from aha uh, hidden inside anthems to the welcome at dusk oh great
1: <laughs> and, and then, then did you see he made
0: a cover of, of an no, a-ha that's that's right where was i was going yeah because oh, we, okay, yeah. we had that conversation like a year and a half or so before he did that uh-huh. So yeah, when I saw that, I felt like I had an uh, inside belt, you know, I was, I was seeing the tree bear fruit to, to put it in botanist terms. Cool. <laughs> um, I know probably every interview that you do, there's a lot of discussion about the instrumentation. And so I don't yeah. want to tire you with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's stuff that you can really kind of put in the episode description and, uh, you know what I mean?
1: yeah well, we can I feel like this is potentially a bigger platform or uh, a diverse platform from what I've done before. So I don't mind talking about it again. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's it's all promotion. so and people like, I've never even heard of your band and it's like, Wait, why are they skipping over this essential part? Like it's okay to go for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, so obviously the you know it's it's very percussion driven uh, in that you're a drummer and then also the hammer dulcimer. Mm-hmm. which is a little bit more obscure. You know, to me, it's, to me it lives somewhere in that hurdy gurdy category. In I know. It's, it's an instrument that I hear of and that I know, I know songs that I know that it's in, but if, you know, if I were walking past a yard sale and somebody had a hammered dulcimer for sale, I'd, I wouldn't identify it. <laughs> I don't know what it uh, looks like. Okay, okay. <laughs> So if that makes sense or hurdy gurdy for that matter. Yeah um so well, you tell me gurdy. about yeah your yeah. your yeah your relationship sorry to these instrument to instruments sure, and sure. and how it um and how it it factors into what you're doing yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna
1: giggle about the hurdy gurdy for a second I, I i have no i have no feelings or attachments to hurdy gurdy but it's the instrument that people are like what if you expanded and the fr- and generally the go to is what if you got a hurdy gurdy in there and then it's like oh yeah well one that's already been done in metal and that you know that's not a reason not to do it but but i think it's it's funny um
0: yeah and and you know and you know what's interesting too is that uh, and you'll, you'll probably get a kick out of this and in, in doing my homework on you uh, i was reading an interview you did with the quietus yeah. and you know in the sidebars where it pops up like hey read this stuff since you're reading this uh one of the articles is called in praise of the hurdy-gurdy um, okay it also suggests an interview with werner herzog which is pretty amazing Okay. And and it and it suggests the strange world of Sun Ra. <laughs> so, I remember
1: that part. I remember. I particularly remember the Sun Ra world. Yeah. Ra, I thought you Ra, might. Ra, yeah. Ra. I
0: mean, if ever there were, you know, if there were some great company to be in. Well, that is
1: great company. I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I completely agree with that. And it just reminds me. I'm sorry, I don't want to go too far afield on this stuff, but it reminds me of the first time. I was like, what happens if I put Botanist in Pandora? Like, what's going to be the track after Botanist? And this was like, and it was like, wow, this is a completely nothing like Botanist at all. Like, it wasn't even, like, metal at all. It was, you know, some sort of folk person or something. And it just this the, your little discussion about Sun Ra and Werner Herzog... Makes you think of the early days, like, we have nothing to compare this to, so um,
0: uh, here's some sun-raw. <laughs> it's almost like you, you created something as a, as a direct challenge to the algorithms.
1: Yeah, yeah, or their algorithms. Uh, figure out what
0: this class. is like. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so
1: um, what does a hammer dulcimer look like? It looks like a trapezoid, basically. It's a trapezoid wooden box, and it has strings laid out. Uh, laid out over the top of it and the strings go over these things called courses Um, or they're in courses excuse me they go over things called bridges and the bridges make it that you can play the um, left side the strings on the left side of the bridge and the strings on the right side of the bridge and they make different pitches um, depending on where the bridge is um, and, um, there's like more bass oriented, uh, bridges and more treble oriented bridges. And you hit all these strings with sticks. And so the, that's basically what a hammered dulcimer is. They can come in different sizes. Um, botanists one is mega special for uh, a very, a variety of reasons. One is that we have m- more bridges than most dulcimers have. So we have, um, a larger range of, uh, high and low notes. Um, the second out of three really major differences is botanist's dulcimer um, is sort of practically laid out like a piano in that each successive set of strings, each successive course is one half step different from the previous one. Um, most dulcimers that you'll get out uh, in, in the world are what's called diatonic, which means like the sharps and the flats will be... On different sides of the instruments which so it's um, it's just how it's laid out and there's no value judgment on that It actually makes it a little easier to play because if you miss a string it, It's less likely to sound out of tune or out of key rather um, So that's number two and the biggest the third biggest um, Difference about botanist dulcimer is we, we have it electrified so it has magnetic pickups that are uh, spread out over the instrument um, that Permit us to run it through um, guitar amplifiers as if they were um, electric guitars Um, about 60 to 75% the same because it's still an acoustic instrument, so we can't crank it to the same level as you can crank an electric guitar. Uh, It's the same problem as if you tried to crank an acoustic guitar with a magnetic, with like a a pickup in it. It's kind of the same issue. So, but it allows us to bring it on stage and play it in like a loud, like heavy, like rock metal context. Um, And uh, that's what makes Botanist Dulcimer's special.
0: That is amazing. And (laughs) how in the world did you uh, get introduced to that?
1: Uh, It was in Japan again, I was living there and, and there was an American man who was busking and, and I thought, this is really cool. So I stopped, I lived in kind of a, um, an arty, uh, uh, neighborhood in, in, in Tokyo an arty, whatever area, uh, arty sort of boutiquey boutique-y place. And so this man was busking there <clears throat> and I stopped and I thought it was amazing. And I bought the CD and I talked to him for, you know, a minute or whatever. And, um, and that was that. And then sort of fast forward 10 years later, and I want to start this band called Botanist. And, and no one really seems to really want to do this with me. So what am I going to do? Well, I can play drums. Well, that's cool. Um, but I can't make a, a record all about drums. So I got to do something. What can I do? Well, well, there's this world music store. I'm going to go over there and see what they got. And uh, lo and behold, there was a hammered dulcimer. I'm like, I remember this thing. And I just started plinking away at it. And I was like, I can totally play this. Like, I don't even need to learn how to do this. I just I just know how to do this. And uh, and that's my reintroduction. And it's like, I remember this thing and I got it. And <clears throat> I got a cheap hammered dulcimer and within three hours I had <clears throat> a composition. And that wasn't botanist, that was, uh, I'm in this other project called Ophidian Forest and our uh what is it our th- third full length has um has a rec- has a song called an elegy of birds if i remember correctly my own project i <laughs> remember my own project's song name i think it's called an elegy of birds that's that's that composition i put it together in 3 hours and there's like birds chirping in the background um i was really um uh Inspired by this band, Lycaea of Flame, that has a bunch of birds on their last song. It's it's this death metal band. You should look into it, Ryan. It's a death metal band. Yeah, they're 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 like hilarious in a wonderful way. They're this Czech band. These two guys, two or three guys, I can't remember how many guys were in the band. There's really only one record. It's called elven and it sounds like cookie. It's like death metal with Cookie Monster vocals, but it has this kind of new age melody aspect to it. And all the lyrics are about being a good person and loving God, but like, but not in a Christian, not in a Christian way. It's kind of like loving your fellow man, but it's all, it's all like Cookie Monster. And at and, and the last track is this really saccharine, beautiful keyboard, like extended keyboard meander. And there's just birds the whole time. <laughs>
0: check that out i've got and, and this is yeah, again, yeah. We, I, and clearly you and I are both birds of a feather, if you'll pardon the terrible pun, <laughs> yeah, in that, in that we can uh traverse various tangential pathways because I, I was going to say I've gotten really into birds recently oh, cool. A, got a hummingbird feeder in the backyard, and I, it's it really is like a uh you know in our anxious hustle and bustle and lives and then add some workaholism and o c d into my mix. When yeah. I glance out the kitchen window and see a hummingbird feeding at the feeder, it's like a moment of stillness. It's just yeah, it's like a
1: little triumph each time, isn't it?
0: Yeah. That's a great way to put it. It really is. It really just pulls you right back to earth. You know, it's, yeah. it's amazing.
1: No joke. If, if botanists had to cease existing and had to start over, I'd make the band call, be called Ornithologist. I'm not kidding. <laughs>
0: nice (laughs) (laughs) that's one of those things you know kind of like pink floyd where i've you know i've always appreciated birds but i've but i know that i need to have like a real phase yeah like i I haven't had my pink floyd phase yet like i know that i know the hits um and i know that there's a rich history and catalog for me to someday get like super into and and yeah that's how i feel about birds (laughs) all
1: right that's cool
0: um you know, and, and, and look, what you do in Botanist, uh, you know, ticks a lot of boxes for me because there's the shoegaze part and there's, you know, the doomy sludge. And those are, I mean, my favorite subgenre of metal is doom. And, uh, you know, speaking of phases, I had my Britpop shoegaze phase. Um, so I like all of those things being intermingled in a way that still uh, isn't lacking in identity. If that makes sense. You know, it doesn't sound like, because oftentimes when you hear a band described as having parts of this and parts of this and parts of this, it starts to sound like a compilation. Um, and I don't think botanist sounds like that. I think it is very straightforward uh, kind of individuals sounding, but I do like that all those things are in there because those are all things that I connect to. Great. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, this was one of the questions that, came to me in your first uh, in our first exchange at the beginning of this conversation, I would, you know, just as I'm going to be listening back through and writing down some of the music you were speaking about, give me a little uh, homework on, you know, romanticism with a capital R and Mm. uh, you know, the art side of botanist and the things that have inspired you. Because that, that's another thing that I know I'm appreciative of and I understand a little bit, but by no means I'm anywhere near an expert and would yeah. love to know uh, where to start, what to do, what to look at.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I think the first real connection I made with Romantic uh, era um, period um, art and literature was um, William Blake, who is of the um, Romantic poets is probably the most covered in metal. Uh, Bruce Dickinson, yeah, Bruce Dickinson, Chemical Wedding is all about William Blake. <laughs>
0: Sometimes I'm almost embarrassed by what I've learned from the metal culture, you know what I mean? Because when someone says William Blake in any context, I immediately think yeah. Chemical Wedding, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah, And, and yeah, and about all the different times William Blake pops up in metal and it's like you're almost, you, you almost feel like you you cheated somehow <laughs> you know I, I would i would urge you not to feel
1: embarrassed about that to have those feelings because so much of my enthusiasm for things uh comes from metal like I, my first introduction to romantic poetry and prose was iron maiden it was um uh, the rhyme of the ancient mariner which was uh, uh it's a poem it's a, an epic poem written by samuel taylor coleridge uh and that was the first time I even heard it. I didn't even know what romantic uh, period was. I just thought the song was amazing. I loved Iron Maiden. That was like my metal band when I was a kid. It was the strongest metal sort of lasting connection um, connection or inspiration that I have. Um, and I think Chemical Wedding is the best Iron Maiden record that isn't, an, I mean, it's the best Iron Maiden record since 1988 um, and yeah <laughs> and it's not an iron maiden record. Right and, 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 yeah. and it also
0: you know if it wasn't for that record i don't think we would have had bruce and adrian smith back in the band but it was yeah. like you know hey yeah, th- wasn't it was, that cool it's like yeah those those two guys decided to make better iron maiden records than iron maiden was making at the time
1: i know i know it's like holy shit, this is great um i, I have a whole I'm, i won't i won't go into this but there's like a list of like this is the best whatever band record and it's not that band you know but Like, oh, what have they done? Anyway, so don't be embarrassed. Um, So many, I think that metal really embraces, or can anyway, a very diverse, rich um, vocabulary that you can learn a lot of cool words um, by, like, what does this weird metal, like, album title mean? It's so convoluted. Like, what do these words mean? And then, like, oh, Oh, that's what that means. I mean, they tend to be flavored a certain way, but not always. Um, But I think that that's like the brainy intellectual side of of metal that that is largely misunderstood by the world at large. Um, You know, there's the knuckle draggy side for sure. And those things can't intersect. The the brainy and the knuckle draggy can go together. But uh, the brainy side is the part that I tend to... um, uh, identify with a little bit a little bit more so don't
0: be embarrassed um, that's awesome and hey i have recently very recently discovered in the last few months that there are and uh you know brace yourself but there you know as someone who also loves hip-hop there are rappers from the juggalo subculture mm-hmm. who are extremely talented <laughs> I, highly skilled I lyricists yeah I, and, I, and I you know I and as much it. as we as much as uh so many of us just dismiss that entire scene outright uh because of its own knuckle yeah. draggy uh elements uh, yeah i very recently discovered that uh, uh anyway yeah that's a whole other tangent but uh the group twisted who's kind of the uh you know if there's i guess if there's a big four in the Juggalo world <laughs> <laughs> they'd be they'd be slayer um okay. and uh and yeah those guys are super talented rappers like just great at rapping oh
1: that's cool it it, it yeah it, it it reinforces i have this this uh perception that i'm working on all the time with all sorts of things and it comes up in all walks of life and the social stuff that we're that we squabble about and just the, like the religious aspect of things that we touched on in in this um interview about christianity and people that just want to tear it down or people that want to tear whatever down and i think that there's good in everything and there's bad in everything and there's good intention and there's good intention gone bad. There's all sorts of variety of aspects of these things, but um, seeing anything as being like a universally good or bad thing in terms of um, a scene or an ideology or an intention or like a cultural group or a political view or whatever, like I think it's a lot, it takes a lot more work to, go beyond what the stereotype is and to actually try to understand what someone who doesn't, even if they don't, you don't agree with what they think, I think it takes a lot more effort to try to understand somebody else than it is to figure out ways to tear them down. Gosh,
0: amen. And the idea that you can be, and this is I am, much like you, and this is something that I've been consciously working on over the last couple of years. I mean, you know, shockingly recent. being open to new information, you know, despite thinking of myself as an open-minded person, like pretty set in my ways about a lot of things. And I, and I, and I find that, you know, a couple of the biggest problems, a couple of the things that are leading to the uh, doom of humanity that (laughs) botanist makes music about is a a lack of curiosity and a, a real reluctance to be open to changing your point of view based on new information. And the, you know, and those are things that I find more and more that I certainly connect with people who have an innate curiosity and who nurture that curiosity and who like learning about new things. And it's not to say that you, you know, change with the tides and you're uh, gullible or you're, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's good to have steadfast things to anchor you in life, but, but yeah, just, it, it is more challenging to be open to learning about things, it sounds sure. so simple. Sounds so simple yeah. as I'm saying it out loud, but I think it is actually pretty profound and complicated.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think understanding someone someone else's point of view doesn't mean you have to change how you think, right? You know, I think that's that's like an important uh, way to enable this to happen. You know, like just because I mean, I don't particularly, you know, like there's things that I'm not just because someone I understand someone else's point of view doesn't mean that oh now I think and feel that way like that's not necessarily yeah. right,
0: right. Yeah. just be yeah be, just because I have a lot of respect for the talent and personalities of a juggalo affiliated group that I've discovered exactly it doesn't right. mean I'm a, it doesn't mean I'm a juggalo
1: <laughs> that's exactly right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: indeed exactly and much right. as I think both if based on just my understanding of you from this conversation you know we both love black metal but I don't know that we would necessarily be you know, whatever an elitist uh, mm-hmm. uh, fundamentalist view of a black metal person would be is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rules, yeah. all the rules that come along with being into various subcultures.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I'm going to go back to, um, I think I kind of covered the uh, sort of very quick Romantic era poetry and stuff. Yeah, William Blake and Samuel. Then no no hey you know that's what the beauty of editing and the beauty of of conversation. But, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, yeah, and so William Blake is also a little bit um, more diverse than the other uh, handful of famous uh, uh, writers. The really famous ones are uh, Blake, uh, William Wordsworth, um, uh, Shelley. Uh, Percy, I, I'm, not even gonna, I'm not even sure how to pronounce his middle name, so I'm not going to try. It's per, I think it's Percy Shelley, um, and there's Lord Byron, isn't the famous one? Um, those are the major guys. Um, so Blake also did a lot of art, and I believe it was either lithographs or woodcuts. And maybe you should edit that out if I'm wrong. But uh, it adorns the chemical wedding stuff, and you see it quite a bit uh, here and there. It's very um, evocative. Um, and, uh, Coleridge has been featured, you know, um, in, uh, not as much, but most importantly, I think in, uh, Iron Maiden. And there's also a song that Rush did in the seventies called Xanadu. That's about his famous poem called, I believe it's called Xanadu. Um, and what's remarkable and sort of tra- tragically romantic about that poem is so, uh, it's from what I understand... Coleridge was an opium addict, and he would uh, trip on opium, have dreams, wake up, and write poetry about it. That's where he'd get his ideas. And so he woke up one day from, from an opium dream, and he had this amazing idea for this poem, and he started writing. And apparently somebody came to his door, or somebody came over, and distracted him long enough, and when he came back, he couldn't remember his dream anymore. And it's an unfinished poem. And that's part of what makes it so fabulous is that it has this beginning vista of being incredible, and then it stops because his other like amazing poems are quite long and it's a whole story and it's and I highly recommend you read them <clears throat> because uh, they're they're pretty cool. Um, so uh, I think that wraps up the romantic stuff. What else did you ask me about? Well, is
0: it, is Xanadu? The the Olivia Newton-John movie. (laughs) Here comes my pop culture thing. Oh
1: shit! I don't
0: know. I was gonna say, is that tied? Is that tied to the Rush song and tied to the poem? God, Uh, I don't know. I I love the idea of 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 the unfinished poem, though, because something that I uh, contemplate often and again. This goes back to metal. Believe it or not, this goes back to something Lars Ulrich said in some kind of monster, where he's. It's the scene where he's he's selling off his art collection, and there's a part where he's looking at a. Uh, you know, Basquat, Kristen, Kirsten, however you say that, Basquat, Basquait, he's looking at one of those paintings and he's going, he's going, I just love staring at this and wondering, uh, you know, at what point did he decide it was finished? You know, yeah. how do you know whether it needs another brushstroke here or another this, that, or there, or and, and of course he likened that to uh, creating an albums or creating any kind of art, but ever since that scene, 15, 16 years ago, I, uh, I think about that often in regard to my own work mm-hmm. and the work that I experience that other people are making is that question of like, yeah, when is something done? Like, is this, is this book finished? Am I putting it away or, 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 you know? And then of course there's musicians where, I suppose the Grateful Dead comes to mind, or even someone like the Counting Crows. You know, there's different musicians where you get the sense that they never think of those songs as finished based on the way that they perform them live. Um, yeah but they're always kind of changing, but, uh, but yeah it's a fascinating thing, and so that that makes me that makes me want to read Xanadu immediately knowing that it was uh, this great unfinished work that just sort of yeah. drops off a cliff <laughs> before it was done yeah yeah
1: i'm a i mean I, <laughs> there's i'm a huge fan of David Lynch and his work, and i'm the older I get and the more I see. Various works again. The more I'm able to appreciate the general concept that not knowing or understanding something makes it more interesting. Um, I mean, there's a limit to that, um, but uh, but I have. It also has it has to do with having faith in. That particular man's creation, that it isn't nonsense.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, because you know, a lot of people look at Jackson Bullock or whatever, you know, and they're like, oh, it's, that's just nonsense. I could do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is, man, that's such a great, I never thought about that before. I'm going to be thinking about that now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that there does have to be a certain faith. And uh, gosh, there's a lot of films that could put that in too. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that even goes into the, the questions of like, okay, is, is Lars Van Trier making us suffer through this scene because he's a sadist, mm-hmm. or is mm-hmm. it because you know, yeah, like intention and
1: yeah? Well, we, one get one has to pick. Yeah, one has to pick one's own. You know, the, the, David Lynch's in this case. You know, it, it, if someone doesn't like it because they think it's nonsense, I mean, you don't have to force them. But like, one picks one's own thing. Um, yeah. So the Xanadu thing is, I think, just thinking about it on my own while you were talking about it is. You don't know what happens, so so what is it? And that also makes it, I think, very compelling.
0: So cool. Well, um, I think I think we covered it for now. You're definitely someone okay. I'd love to have back. Great. <laughs> and there's, I like I I like having homework from these conversations. Certainly more than awesome. the other homework that I get from my actual paying work. <laughs> so thank you awesome. for that.
1: Well, hopefully you can make this into paying to paying work or
0: more. Pay- that's the idea. That's the idea. Yes. It's uh it's in the it's in the side hustle category as they say right now, but, All right. but it's getting there. Yeah, if I could be the, if I could be the Joe Rogan of interviewing black metal adjacent people about their esoteric <laughs> ideas.
1: <laughs> you know, that's amazing because I'm I've been thinking, it's funny how you, you brought that up about black metal adjacent or whatever adjacent is. I think I want to start promoting botanist potentially when someone says what category would you put your music in like black metal adjacent
0: and i think that's pretty good it is because it immediately conjures a you know you you sort of get what it means right away <laughs> yeah <laughs> i you know a, another phrase i use uh with my you know i have a lot of friends that like we were all into metal when we were in high school and they've all you know they never really moved beyond that initial subset of bands or, or whatever the case people who just aren't paying as much attention to a lot of new stuff. I often, I often my phrase for them is I tell them I'm into decibel metal, meaning bands covered by decibel magazine. Okay. <laughs> so like you know there's revolver metal, there's there's Kerrang! Yeah. And metal hammer metal, there's loudwire.com yeah. metal. I'm like a decibel metal guy. Uh-huh. Uh, you know whenever they do their top 40 albums of the year and a lot of my friends go I've only heard of three of these bands. You know, I'm I'm the guy that's like, no, no, this is a, this doom band from Pennsylvania, <laughs> this EP is incredible. You know, and I, and I, and, and trust me, I know there's people who are a hundred times further down that rabbit hole than I am, but uh, but yeah, I find, I find that the adjacent, a lot of the post hyphen insert genre and the insert genre hyphen adjacent stuff tends to be what I'm the most into these days cool so yeah well it's been my pleasure to have a black metal adjacent conversation with you
1: <laughs> you're welcome all right uh all right so you feel like we covered all the stuff you that's
0: cool oh yeah right? I, that, that awesome. was really great really really awesome you.: thanks Brian. Yeah.